Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Find the best odds in the country only on the free PropSwap app. Kevin Bowen here. You buy directly from other sports bettors who are ready to cash out. Join the rest of us and go to PropSwap.com right now. We are back. A newsy May 11th here for Kevin's Corner recording. Chris Presley, Kevin Bowen looking out on a beautiful sunrise over Monument Circle. And the month of May is here, busy in our state and city for obvious reasons. And Chris, kind of a busy Colts week. Mm-hmm. Uh, not totally surprised by it, but still, a lot of uh, newsy items. And a little bit more later in the week, we're supposed to have uh, the Chris Ballard film session that unfortunately didn't happen last year due to COVID. That is supposed to take place later this week. So we'll talk about that on next week's podcast. And um, I do want to hit on rookie playing time on this week's pod. That's something that. We kind of do each year about a week or two after the draft, give an early projection of rookie playing time, and obviously some big left tackle news that we need to hit on as well. Uh, before we get to all that, shout out to our buddy Zach, Chris, super loyal listener. Messages me about, boy, probably about a month ago, wants to know what's that prop swap uh, promo code, yeah. again, that we've that we've given before. So I throw that out to Zach. He then hits on Trey Lance going number three overall. Nice. Falls it up with a derby pick. I don't know if he contributed to what in <laughs> what is in Medina Spirit's body, but uh, shout out there. Zach went in a couple tickets over on Prop Swap, so thank you to them for sponsoring Kevin's Corner. And, uh, again, for those of you that haven't been on there, it's the eBay for sports betting, so check that out. You can buy or sell props, uh, the best odds in the country. The thing I was thinking about with – Medina Spirit, Chris, is opened up at like one twenty to one. Yeah, I want to say or hundred to one, something like that, and then went off at like twelve to one. I mean, right. you imagine if you had that ticket, yeah, at the start. And that's the thing about Prop Swap is sometimes you're getting these tickets to where the Colts right now. I looked on the site uh, before the Eric Fisher signing. I think they're like twenty four to one Super Bowl odds. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that just naturally went down a little bit after the Eric Fisher signing. So. Uh, the good news is on Prop Swap, you can still get the ticket that you probably aren't going to be getting anymore moving forward. So thank you to them for uh, sponsoring the pod. Yeah, I went down to Indiana Grand to watch. Uh, my cousin from California flew out. Uh, her husband's deployed right now. He's a Jaguar fan, so we go back and forth. Uh, we're going to start a new tradition where one year we'll go to he'll, they'll come to Indy for a game. Oh, the nice. next year we'll go to Jacksonville. You got to go to the game. pool. I have to. You got to go to the pool. Got to go to the pool. Maybe Tebow's shirt off now at the pool. <laughs> Never know. Maybe, maybe. That could have been a Jaguars poll to, you know, try to get some more fans in the building, you know, get a little Tebow shirtless, and then he plays tight end on whatever in goal line. Yeah, but he uh, he put down a $6 bet for the Jaguars to win the Super Bowl, because why not? And if it starts to get close, I might tell him, hey, prop swap, man. That's what you got to do, man. That's on there. the thing about it is when Jacksonville won the season opener last year, I would have been taking that prop swap ticket of them winning the Super Bowl and being like, it's available. <laughs> yeah, went up <laughs> a little bit. It. So uh, thank you to them for uh, sponsoring Kevin's Corner. And like I said, during the offseason, guys, we're going to keep coming at you every week. OTAs in a couple of weeks. Um, I don't believe we'll be able to watch that, unfortunately. Uh, but I'm hoping the mandatory minicamp June, I don't know, it's like 15th, 16th, 17th, something like that. Okay. Uh, that will hopefully be our first glance in person at Carson Wentz and company. And obviously we'll see what participation. That's the mandatory aspect 
of the offseason OTAs, pretty much like minicamp. It's just the voluntary part. So, yeah, uh, just some stuff to look forward to over the next month. Yeah, and you gave a shout-out to Zach. Let's give one out to P. King. I know he sent you a <laughs> prayer. He sent it to me last night, too. Uh, he sent you a funny prayer, almost Talladega Night-esque. Yeah, Talladega Night-esque. Uh, yeah. In between the window of just before we signed Eric Fisher. So, luckily for us on this podcast, as we joked about social media-wise, and we have before on other podcasts, we typically have been getting screwed over by the Colts announcing news right after we publish these. We hit the window perfectly this time. Boom! You know, I don't know, just luck, pretty much luck. I'm not going to act like I, I saw that coming on Monday morning, but I uh, had a feeling this was going to be the final result at left tackle, and we'll see, you know, as we record this, we haven't seen the exact specifics on the contract. I assume it's pretty injury-laden mm-hmm. incentive-wise because I think $9.4 million jumped out at a good amount of people let me make this clear on one-year deals i don't give two shits about money like when, when you have the amount of cap space i mean obviously you're not gonna give them a 20 million dollar contract but you know what i'm getting at it kind of goes back to the ty hilton thing where it's like when you got the amount of cap space the colts have the one-year deals it doesn't really matter too much to me um, i know some people were kind of like why not multiple years well first off the colts haven't given anybody multiple year contracts and if this works out you gotta think you just run it back Mm -hmm. now maybe eric fisher's representation says hey man if you can prove that you're healthy sign a one-year deal and then go and get two or three years because he's just turned 30 if i'm not mistaken so i wasn't too surprised by any of that um i guess what, what 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 really stands out to me chris is this is a high ceiling opportunity that if it works out health-wise, you have an upper echelon, I don't know, top five, top three. I, I, I don't pretend to know offensive line rankings. You got a damn good offensive line, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm, what I'm getting at. And that's vital. Um, it can be Costanzo-like if Eric Fisher is healthy. A couple things I did want to mention because I feel like there's been just a little bit of misinfo out there. Um Yes, Chris Ballard and Eric Fisher, the connection there speaks for itself, dating back to Kansas City days. Ballard was not on that KC staff when they drafted Fisher. Ballard was hired about two weeks after Eric Fisher became the number one overall pick. I know a lot of people realize this, I think, a little bit with the Ryan Grigson scenario. Scouting contracts usually run May to May. They like to get people through drafts. So um, Ballard came into that Kansas City building just after the 2013 draft. But he certainly watched Eric Fisher go from, you know, that right tackle his first year out of Central Michigan to then the left tackle that he's been right. ever since. And, and, you know, really has been extremely durable, Chris, until the last two years. And, and that's the elephant in the room in this. And I guess – and I, I know we have several Twitter, Twitter questions on it, so maybe we can wait a little bit. That, I think, is the debate you have of this is higher risk with the chance for a bigger reward – a guy like Charles Leno probably is lower risk with a chance of not as high of a ceiling. Um, so I think that's the debate that you have is when you look at Fisher, I mean, shit, when, when healthy, dude, the Chiefs are unbelievable, mm-hmm. and he plays at a Pro Bowl level. But unfortunately, he missed two months of the 2019 season with a core injury, came back last year, and was healthy throughout the season, and then tears out Achilles. Mm-hmm. And obviously that is the big question of, okay, when is he going to be healthy, things like that. I know Brett Veach mentioned back in March, uh, Brett Veach, the KCGM, 
that he felt like Fisher could be cleared by mid-August. I don't think the Colts are that gung-ho on that time frame. They might be a little bit of a, hey, this is going to potentially get a couple games into the regular season. It's not the end of the world if it does in their mind. So, you know, how do you view Fisher? Do you view Fisher as a guy that's reached 30 and, oh, boy, two big injuries are starting to pile up and this is par for the course? Or do you view it as it's nothing nagging? Um, It's not, you know, Paris Campbell amount of of injuries and and we don't feel – that um, worrisome about it. Obviously, the Colts brought him in for a visit, got mm-hmm. their medical team on him, hands-on-wise. That was critical to this piece going through. The more I kind of thought about it over the weekend, Chris, and especially yesterday, it, it, it reminds me so much of watching fans at Pacer games play deal or no deal. Right. Where it's like Charles Leno is like, you've got the whatever, $200 box, and it's yours, but you know full well that there's a little bit and the banker's calling you and trying to get you to hedge. And and this is the Colts making much more of a win-now move than I think Leno would have been. Um, it's interesting, though, because I don't think all the moves this offseason scream win-now. Right. Like, you know, usually it's like, hey, here's our philosophy, here's our approach, boom, all the chips are in the middle of the table. The Colts haven't been like that with a lot of moves this offseason. This move is like that to me because – if he is not healthy for a month and a half into the season or something like that, or if he gets hurt again, this move has really backfired on you. Yeah. But if healthy, this is an offensive line that you put on any short list in the NFL, and that is vital, vital to the offensive success, Carson Wentz success, all of that. We are again coming at you Tuesday morning. The NFL schedule will, will be released mm-hmm. tomorrow night. Um, we've got articles up on – we will have articles up on the site as soon as that, that uh, is announced, so check that out. We won't worry about an emergency podcast or anything with that. But, Chris, I am glued to what September looks like mm-hmm. w- with this signing. Right. Obviously, the Dio Dangbo thing, uh, yeah, sure, you don't want to, like, overlook him. But, you know, who potentially is Sam Tevy blocking against in September? You know, <laughs> you don't want to see Arizona and Chandler Jones. Right on that schedule and J.J. Watt on that schedule. You certainly don't want to see uh, San Francisco and Nick Bosa on that schedule in September. You don't want to see the defending Super Bowl champs and that defensive line. And I know he doesn't line up outside, but I don't want to see Aaron Donald in September either. Yeah. So, like, those are the teams mm-hmm. that, that when you look at that schedule coming out tomorrow night, you don't want to see in September because we know this this organization, frankly – has been awful to start seasons. You don't want to get behind the eight ball anymore with that. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're 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 keeping Quentin Nelson and Brain Smith at their respective spots. I think that was really important. I was never a huge fan of moving those guys. I just think you're you're starting to juggle a whole lot there, and now you're taking guys away from what they're truly, truly great at. So. I think in a vacuum, Chris, in a one-year vacuum, I should say, your your O-line has gotten much better depth. You're keeping Quentin Nelson and Smith at the spots that they excel at. And if healthy, which is the greatest unknown in all this, and I know I've probably said it already seven times in the podcast, but you have to say it, you're getting similar left tackle play. Now, the long-term question hasn't been answered. Maybe Eric Fisher can play three or four more more years. Maybe not. Maybe this is it for him. Maybe mm-hmm. Kansas City cut him for a reason. They just didn't feel like he was at 
that 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 same level, and injuries were were really worrisome to them. Um, so the left tackle long term answer still a major issue, but in this one year vacuum, if that Achilles cooperates, you could make the argument you're a better offensive line. Now I, I don't want to that might sound like a little bit of a jab at Anthony Costanzo, but I feel like Fisher and Costanzo are very comparable uh, players. I just think your depth yeah. has gotten a little bit better. So um, we'll see how it all plays out, but uh, certainly the biggest, I think, starting job still up in the air has been solved. It's just a question of when he will suit up for a first game. Yeah, and it's funny how often uh, fan bases, once that player takes that jersey off, social media – they're completely an X. Arrowhead it's, Nation going it's, nuts. You know, you can't let the other you can't let the other team be happy for five minutes with the signing. Everyone's right. already in the mentions of, oh, he sucks. Good luck with him. Yeah, that's why you, you could tell the respect that Philip Rivers had coming from San Diego. Mm-hmm. They were like, I hope he gets a ring with you guys. Yeah, it's um, like I kind of understand why Chicago cut Charles Leno. Like, they they need to get under the cap. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I think Tevin Jenkins can play left right. left tackle. The Kansas City one was a little bit more interesting to me because Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher, they both say goodbye to, and there weren't these obvious answers. Now they end up going out and getting Orlando Brown. They signed um, they signed homeboy from the Patriots, I think, for their interior. They they they've really rebuilt that group yeah. up front. So it is curious to me. Um, how that has all played out. And it's just kind of funny to think the two biggest acquisitions of the offseason come from Frank Reich and Chris Ballard past homes mm-hmm. with those organizations in some way saying no to those guys. Now, I think it was a mutual, much more of a mutual thing with Wentz, but that is kind of just a just just a little bit of a, a, a an oddity and, and certainly just a nod to the weirdness of the NFL where guys can go to different homes and um, certainly play at still a high level, and even though Frank Reich and Chris Bauer have tremendous respect for those past places they've been at, they feel like that this opportunity here in Indianapolis will lend to uh, different results. Last week we talked about, as you referenced it, the Christmas presents that we got on draft night. This week, based off of an article that you have up on 1075thefan.com, just wanted to talk through the potential playing time and when we might see some of these rookies on the field, so you want to go through those names? Yeah, and we're going to throw a number system. So, mm-hmm. Chris, go ahead and, and and read that number system. Again, this is in article form, but basically every year, um, early May, project a little bit of rookie playing time based off a number system. Yeah. So the number system is a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being lucky to make the roster, 10 being a definite full-time starter. And we're talking, you know, 16 game, day yeah. 1, no questions asked. You're barely going off the field. So, you know, five or six, you know, sub packages, things like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, anything lower than that, probably special teams or fringe roster. Above that, you know, you're probably rotating in a little bit more. So, uh, let's go through all the picks, man. And uh, again, give a, it, it is fun. Obviously, I've been so wrong on many of these. I've been right on, you know, whatever. And, and I was thinking about walking, I was walking on the circle this morning before coming to the studio. I do enjoy looking back on it. I went back and looked at last year and like, Pittman and Taylor, definite hits. Eason, definite hit. Julian Blackman, couldn't have been more more wrong on. Again, I thought, you know, he wouldn't play for a little bit into the season, and obviously he turned into like an eight or nine guy yeah. at the end of the year versus like the three or four that I thought he would be at. Yeah. 
And I'm glad you prefaced it that way because, again, when you guys hear these numbers, don't freak out. As Kevin, you mentioned earlier a couple minutes ago, you didn't feel like we made a lot of win-now moves, and that and that also takes place here in the draft. But a guy that you do think can help us win now, obviously, first pick in the draft, Quiddy Pay. And obviously I've never seen these dudes on an NFL yeah. field. So yeah. I, I'm sure my opinion will change a lot after a mini camp and after training camp. I've got 9 or 10 for Quiddy Pay. And I know that a lot of people might say, duh, like Quiddy Pay is going to play that much. And again, 9 or 10 to me is like, that's a 16-game starter. But it is just wild to think back, Chris, that Dwight Franey didn't start until two months into his rookie season. I mean, Dwight Franey was probably the best defensive player in college football mm-hmm. coming out that that year. Uh, had like over 30 sacks in college. I mean, like, his pure production just dwarfs a guy like like Quiddy Pay. Um, but there are a couple reasons why I think Pay. And I'm not going to act like I remember the 2002 Colts and, you know, you know, have a great feel for what their depth chart looked like. I think Freeney was much more of a day one situa- situational rusher growing into the first and second down role. I do think Pay gives you more of a first and second down option early on. And then, frankly, you just got to look at the rest of the depth chart. Yeah. You know, you lost to Nico Autry and Justin Houston. Those guys played easily the second and third most snaps on your D-line. Um, behind DeForest Buckner, obviously. And I look at Pay at 270-some pounds and think he's got the frame to hold up, point of attack, and he just, I think, gives you a a three-down ability early on. Again, you've got to develop a blue trait as a rusher, and you're going to put him in much more of, and we were talking to him over the weekend during rookie minicamp, he's going to be more of an edge, there's not going to be much of a change, he thinks, in playing style for him, more in just how his usage is, more of that edge presence, more of that coming off that outside part of those offensive tackles. I'm thinking kind of nine technique, you know, way outside. But the fact that he did do some stunting and did do some um, interior stuff in college, I do, I do think makes him attractive to be versatile on those downs. So. The Colts need him to be mm-hmm. a 9 or 10 guy, and I think he can't offer that for you just because, again, who else? Right. Isaac Rochelle, Taekwon Lewis, al Muhammad, Kamoko Ture. Yeah, I mean, and you need multiple you know, starting jobs. Like It's not like Dayo Dengbo is going to be ready you know, week one. So um, I got Quiddy Pay playing by far the most of any rookie. Yeah, and another prop swap guy. He's uh, fourth as of now in rookie of the year defensive odds. That. Yeah, um, you gotta think pass rushers have like the advantage in that area. Um, you know, if you're a corner, you really got to find the ball. Yeah, and Patrick Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horn, obviously Jalen Phillips will be, I think, a popular name as well. So uh, Michael Parsons, we'll see about him. Yeah, I mean Quiddy Pay. I say buy it. Yep. Jonathan Taylor had some wild odds. I remember last year when he was just drafted. Mm-hmm. I remember we were we were talking about that, and lo and behold, if it wouldn't have been Justin Herbert, I think yeah. Jonathan Taylor wins that. Yeah. All right, second pick, Dio Dangbo. You have a three to four. Yeah, and again, this is just so health driven. Yeah. Um, right. Now, I, I should also say it is a little bit of I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly what a healthy Dangbo looks like in this defense right away. Um, a scheme change, a little bit of, I think, a positional change as well. Um, so I think you've got to acknowledge that. But 
let's just go like again. Argument's sake, the Julian Blackman timetable, different injuries, different body types. Mm-hmm. You know, Blackman misses one game. He tore his ACL a month and a half before a Dangbo. So let's say Dangbo's out till mid October. Uh, that's where I go three four here with I think the full notion this can bump up the five six and he can turn into your top rotational defensive lineman, maybe late season starter. Now, you know, he says his goal is to play in 2021. He's definitely staying far away from committing to anything publicly. I don't know if that's his feeling. I don't know if what he's being told to say, but he's definitely not like, hey, I'm going to be out there week one, point blank period. Yeah. So I just think I'm throwing up a little bit of a caution flag, but a little bit based off what he has given us as well. Um, but when healthy, if it's 2021, I look at him as a left defensive end on earlier downs and then the ability to be that interior rusher alongside DeForest Buckner. And you let that length and the wingspan, the freakish wingspan of Dio Dangbo, you let that feast. Um, uh, but I, I think Al-Kadeem Muhammad and Isaac Rochelle can give you ni- nice minutes Um on the early downs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously you don't want to throw a dangbo out there for 90% of the snaps, 80% yeah. of the snaps, something crazy coming off the Achilles as well. So that's why I go three to four. I was, um, you know, looking a little bit more into draft coverage and doing a little bit more background on that. You know, Chris Ballard wanted to, I think, be a little bit more conservative in this draft. And by that, it's hammer the character guys and hammer the positions that we love. Mm-hmm. And I think you you really see that. Um, you know, he acknowledged, you know, you, you didn't have all the info that you normally do. So I think that played into, again, right. hammering what were yeah. uh, good at, it's not the right phrase, but what we believe in, I think, is probably the better way to say it. And I think a big reason why Dangbo was picked, and we saw this a little bit in free agency, Chris just has a hesitancy um, first off, it's difficult to get defensive ends. Let me fully acknowledge that. And when they do appear, like they did in free agency this year, it, it's a big price tag. Right. And I just think Ballard had a little bit of a hesitancy to go down that road. So I think that played into a dangbo being the pick. All right, our round four pick, a guy that a lot of Colts Nation, especially since being drafted and kind of becoming familiar more with his game tape and after he's done a couple interviews, excited about Kylan Granson. Yeah, he might have the best personality, I would say, of some of these draft picks so far. I don't know if was he on with Dan or John. I think so. Um, I believe so. I've heard him on a couple other podcasts. Just yeah. a guy that's ready to come in and play. Yeah, love it. Um, he kind of reminds me of a little bit more of an outgoing Frank Reich. There's a confidence to him. You know, I think I said it last pod. Mm-hmm. He calls himself a Renaissance man. Not something you hear a lot of NFL guys um, label themselves as. You know, he had Ivy League offers and went to Rice. So. That should tell you a little bit of his intelligence. But I've got him at five or six, Chris. Um, Five or six in playing time, but I don't know if that's necessarily five or six in impactful role. Like, And and I I probably should further explain that a little bit. Like, Trey Burton's playing time was not overwhelming last season. Trey Burton won you several football – helped win you several football games last year. Like, don't view this as like – you know, here's a dime package safety that plays 20 snaps, and you might not really feel their impact. 
Like, Granson will be on the field for 20, 30 snaps, but just like Eric Ebron was on the field for 30 or 40 snaps, they're going to be involved, and they need to be involved. So that's where I look at Granson that it's not going to, I think, over – like, I don't expect him to out-snap Jack Doyle or even Mo Cox. But when he's on the field, he's different than those guys, and Frank Reich is going to have you on the field for a reason, and it's not to be an inline blocker where you're trying to hold the edge against Chandler Jones. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. You're going to be in the game to catch the – freaking football <laughs> and try and make a play down the field so his speed it's a weapon his ability to separate is a weapon I think there's a chess match element to where can you get him on a linebacker can you get him on a slower safety that's what you're looking for right. so um, I think Granson plays the second most of any of these rookies over the course of a 16 game season you know Dio I think could, could play a little bit more later in the year and frankly I don't think it's close like these day three picks, the rest of them we're going to talk about, I, I don't see any of them um, sniffing what the role will be for Kyle, Kylan Granson. Yeah. All right, the next pick out of Florida, safety Sean Davis. You have him at a three to four, and that's probably mostly special teams, I would imagine. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, I honestly, that might be a hair generous, but I keep on going back to, I mean, he was a fifth-round pick. Like, you don't typically cut – Mm-hmm. Fifth round picks, but like when you look at the depth of safety, Chris, some years you only keep four safeties. Well, you signed the other Sean Davis, um, Sean, and then you've got George Odom. I mean, he's making your football team now. Some might say George Odom is only a special teamer. I still like the safety snaps George Odom gave this team a few years ago. I, I don't know what happened to where those those went away, but um, like when you talk numbers and you talk fifty three man roster and dressing forty six on a game day. There could be an odd man out as a fifth safety. So that's why I just am a little bit like, let's not slam dunk it like no other. Um, now, I still think he makes a team. He strikes me as a guy that can definitely be a good core special teamer. And if you do feel like he's your third or fourth safety, certainly he's probably going to make it because you are one injury yeah. away from um, really needing him. You know, it, it's interesting. The more I look at this depth chart, Chris, like – you really need Darius Leonard and Bobby Okereke to stay healthy, and you really need your two safeties to stay healthy. Like I think there's a little bit of a drop. Some other positions, I think, you don't have as steep of a drop. Linebacker and safety to me, and I fully acknowledge you can't obviously create just copious amounts of depth all over your roster, but that is one that um, that stands out to me. So, Yeah, I got Davis at 3-4. to four. Um, Unless Eberflus wants to evolve with the dime package, I don't see him playing a whole lot. The next pick is one that, as you mentioned, day three of the draft kind of just added some pizzazz to the Colts' draft pick, or at least a name that made you go, hmm, okay. Sam Ellinger, a one to two, and that should be no surprise to anybody. Yeah, again, I mean, non-COVID year, I I, I don't see how he would even make the 53-man roster. Maybe COVID-wise, if there still is a COVID impact to this season, I think we're a ways away from really looking at that. But if there is, then you do carry a third quarterback. If not, he's on your practice squad. I know a lot have mentioned the, the, the Taysom Hill role. It's, to me, when I watch Sam Ellinger, I see a Jacoby Brissett knack for keeping plays alive, knowing where Rush is coming from. Less of, I'm a freak. I run 4-5. We can just design it, and they can't tackle me you know mm-hmm. like that sort of yeah the true dual threat read option I make plays with my feet a little bit more than I make plays with my legs sort of QB so 
which it's it's an awesome knack that Ellinger has. Uh, but again, the Jacoby Brissett off script stuff, it was never whatever the hell the Colts tried to do last year with him. Like it was never the Wildcat, Jacoby's in the game. Oh boy, yeah. strike fear on the defense. That to me is like a little bit of Ellinger. Um, and again, Carson Wentz QB sneaks it. Like Frank Reich loves that about him. So I, I don't know if people care about that, but it is probably something to mention. So I got one or two for Ellinger. I mean, practice squad. I think Eason. <laughs> you know, part of me probably says like Eason better win the backup job. Right. Yeah. You know, like, but if it got so bad, if if Eason looks so bad in offseason camp whenever then to me you go out and get a veteran yeah i i just can't see them writing ellinger as that backup i know his college resume is expansive and he played a whole lot and whatnot and won a good amount and led comebacks and you know he played at texas which is probably one of the more pressure-packed qb situations for a college athlete but still, I think they would go that route. Yeah, not many backups in the NFL anymore, especially at, look at last year with the COVID protocols and everything. We're one injury away. A lot of veterans are your backup Yeah, especially just day three rookies. Yeah. You know, okay, day two rookie, you get that. But, I mean, hell, even Jordan Love. Jordan Love was n- never the backup last year. Mm-hmm. It was Boyle or whatever his name is. No, not Tad Boyle. Tad, I forget his name. Tad Boyle's a basketball coach. <laughs> it's early. Rosie slept about as well as oh no I, as I sprint. Not good. How about DK Metcalf? I still think it's impressive. No, I think it's really impressive. It's so funny because certain outlets would say DK Metcalf came in ninth and ran this, and then other tickers were DK Metcalf came in last. It's like, well, I know it's I know ninth is last, but yeah, but like there's three. little context, you know, <laughs> with, with that. Yeah, I was really impressed, and I'm just I'm a sucker for like the Olympics and stuff, so it got yeah. me excited. Uh, Hopefully those uh, go without a uh, go without a blip. Yeah, and you see how fast those guys are. Oh, oh my God, <laughs> what sixty pounds bigger than anybody in the race? Right. Yeah, easily. All right, a- another guy who has a track background and yeah, Colts Colts Nation is really high on, but you know he's later pick, so it's going to be hard to to make teams. But Mike Strong. Yeah, I'd be really surprised, Chris, if he made the fifty-three man roster. I've got one or two on him as well. Um, and I'm perfectly fine with I think what we have to remember is this with these type of guys, and Desmond Patman, I think, fell into this category last year. So many people, when Paris Campbell went down, they immediately went to Reese Fountain, and they immediately went to Desmond Patman. Mm-hmm. You've got to remember, when those types of guys go down, you're probably looking more to match skill set with who just went down. So when Fountain went down to Michael Harris, or um, when Campbell went down, so Michael Harris ended up kind of climbing into mm-hmm. some of that role there for a little bit. You know, the Colts played Ashton Doolin a little bit more. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Like, if Pittman goes down, I would think Patman would then ascend into that role to try and match a little bit there. Um, or even Pascal, just because he is a jack-of-all-trades, a little bit of a bigger body guy, not right. huge. But um, I think it would take a lot for Mike Strawn to crack the roster not a big special teams background you got to remember that as well Um, and look I'm totally fine with all that (laughs) I'm not like good you know put him on the practice squad run a route tree get used to you know not playing against Pittsburgh State and whoever else you were playing and develop for a year and then see what you got moving forward you mentioned with Sean Davis the amount of safeties that possibly he would have to pass well with Will Freeze the last pick of the draft 
There's going to be a lot of offensive lineman dressing as well. Yeah. And so Dude, I think I might have been totally wrong on this last week. I actually think you were right. I think it's fries. Okay. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Matt Taylor was texting me last Monday, and I think now looking back on the text, I misread it, and he was joking um, about freeze to me. Okay. <laughs> so I think he was referencing maybe someone else on air that was pronouncing it. In a, in a different way. So I think we're going to go with French fries. Love it. For Will. Um, Will fries two to three by your count. Yeah. Uh, it, he's got a chance. Um, a couple things. One, can you show the position flex a la Joe Haig? That's obvious. And then two, are the Colts just ready to have a young backup that is under team control for several years? You know, when you think back to all these uh, backups the Colts have signed this year. Sam Tevy, Julian Davenport, Chris Reed from Carolina. I think Will Holden is in a contract year as well. They're all pretty much on one-year deals. Will Freeze, <laughs> Will Fries, um, you know, it's a four-year rookie deal. So, under very manageable team control for several years. That's not, like, not, not the most pressing contract situation, but it is something that's playing into his advantage as yeah. a seventh-round pick. Having said that, you know, Javon Patterson, Jackson Barton, past seventh-round offensive linemen haven't really been too much in the cards there. So, um, yeah, I'll say two to three for him, but again, as the ninth offensive lineman. So, again, if you guys want to go ahead and go to 1075thefan.com, you can find that under the Kevin's Corner tab along with a lot of other articles that he's been writing. Uh, but that's just a brief verbal breakdown of when you can expect these rookies to play for the Colts. And we also have, um, I'm going back and doing an individual article on each rookie, uh, okay. e- each each draft pick as well. So I posted Pay, posted a Dangbo. We'll have Kylan Granson going up tomorrow. Probably save the other day three picks for next week. And then, like I said, uh, we'll have a Chris Bauer film breakdown, you know, being um, over at the complex for that later in the week. So definitely um, stay tuned to that up on the site. Perfect. Well, before we jump into Twitter Twitter questions, want to preface that some of these questions had come in before the Eric Fisher signing. I'll do my best to verbally edit some of them, but some of them we'll just read as is because it still, I think, gives our listeners your thought process as to what you think cool. Chris Ballard might be thinking with some of these questions. Yeah, I love it. All right, first one's from Ryan. Could you explain what the timetable for Eric Fisher's Achilles recovery is looking like? Yeah, the Colts super non-committal publicly. You you, you get that. Um I'll go off a couple things, Chris. Brett Veach, again, the Kansas City GM, said back in March that he felt like mid-August, potentially, for Eric Fisher to be cleared. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is that cleared to practice? Uh, what does that look like then? And him getting ready for um, a game, whatnot, um, those are all obviously questions that remain un- unanswered. Um, so I think nine-ish months typically is like the safe bet with Achilles stuff. You know, he he tore it January twenty-fourth, so nine months would be September twenty-fourth. You know, that's what two weeks into the regular season. You know, do you put him on pup if you think it's going to be six game? I mean, that's a lot. Is it Sam Tevy until then? Yeah. Obviously, like we talked about earlier, what does the schedule look like in September? So I am totally guessing here but I've kind of circled late September, maybe early October, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I don't even think the Colts know, to be frank. I mean, there's still a lot of hurdles, I think, to be cleared in kind of capping this uh, this rehab. 
Yeah, if we if we see some of that schedule, like you said earlier, are we just going to list that like a green day schedule? Wake me <laughs> up when September ends. Is it, yeah, it going to be good. one of those? Yeah, shout out to Ryan Bowen. Had a green day CD back in the day. I think it might have been one of his first first CDs. Uh, yeah, it might. And, of course, I'm thinking to myself, well, the Colts haven't won an opener since 2013. <laughs> the Colts haven't started 2-0 and in a season since 2009. It's like, Yeah, that's typically our thought process anyway. Right, right. All right, from David, if we truly go into the season with Sam Tevy as our starting left tackle and it starts to lead to problems for this team, I'm not asking for Chris Ballard to be fired, but will it finally lead to him being held accountable for his approach to the offseason? Well, David, I, I think you got to start here. I don't... <laughs> I don't pretend to listen to everybody and read everybody. I, I try to consume a lot, but w- we preach accountability on this podcast. I think, honestly, it's not to go down a rabbit hole, but like it's journalistic integrity to um, be accurate and be fair in um, offering opinion, editorial comments, whatever you want to call it. And so that's certainly what what we try to do. So I hope you feel that when you listen to this podcast. Um, you know, the whole debate about tackle you know it goes back to something you know again I was talking about more so on last week's pod recapping the draft to me it's just more of a multi-year thing with not finding some sort of young tackle to have in the wings like and this obviously would have taken a big draft pick commitment but like there's no Torrey or Banigou at left tackle now again that's a what a second round pick but there's not Mm -hmm. even a I don't know a fourth or fifth round pick at left tackle, waiting the wings. So, uh, now is that guy, would that guy be better than Sam Tebby right now? I, you would hope, but um, who knows. And, and I also think that going back to the whole Eric Fisher is a bit of a higher risk, it's a lot of like, what do you want at left tackle? Did you want Leno to sleep better at night because the guy hasn't missed a game in six years? Or do you want Fisher thinking higher risk? Yeah. Like, that, I think, is where you're at of um, how you kind of handle your decision-making. But it goes back to what I was trying to say earlier, Chris, of, like, not all the moves are win now. Like, the no defensive end move in free agency or not getting another wideout maybe uh, to support T.Y. Hilton and potentially, you know, cover up a Paris Campbell injury. Like, not all the moves scream win now. So, I don't know. Part of me would have sided with Leno. It's it, it's weird. I'm such a big fan of making moves to push the ceiling higher. But part of me thinks if I was Chris Ballard, I would have done Leno just because that position is so worrisome to me. And you have suffered through some injuries there as of late. But then again, the other side of me says I love win now or I love higher ceiling moves and this is certainly one of those. Yeah, and if Washington gets Leno, good for a guy that you wanted in Sam Cosme who can just sit behind him for a couple years and get groomed and hopefully come in and play the type of football for Washington that a lot of people feel that he could play. Has Leno signed there? I do not believe so. I know he was taking a visit. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm not going to lie. Like, I feel like I have a decent grasp on 32 NFL teams. I don't know anything about the Washington football team. (laughs) Every time I see it, I think it's what the the – So do I, every single time. Every and now time. that might just be like a sign of like our generation, and we a lot of people text each other that say yeah. WTF, so maybe we shouldn't talk to those people. But um, literally, I'm like, what is that? What is that acronym? I see it too. Yeah, like Wichita Falls <laughs> Truman State. Like I, I'm, I'm so confused. 
This one comes from Alex, who's curious about the ideal front four defensively for us. After seeing comments from Quiddy Pay that he'll likely play exclusively on the right edge, what does that mean for our D-line rotation? Would Kamoko Turi and Ben Banigou play on the other edge during pass downs with DeForest Buckner and Taekwon Lewis in the middle, or perhaps a lot of Al-Kadim Muhammad and Isaac Rochelle on the left and early downs? Chris, I just got a task, text from our um, uh, the person who runs a daycare Rosie goes to. and you know, she, A couple coughs last night for yeah. Rosie, something, and oh boy, she coughing a lot at school. We're going to have to bring her home or whatever. We're all good. Little bump on the cheek. Check out the shiner. A little bit of a shiner there wow. for Rosie Boat. Playing Bo- through it. But we're building toughness. She's smiling. She's still tumbling. This is a guy, uh, this is a girl, I should say, because uh, she is a girl, that, that we <laughs> want uh, playing special teams one day. She's got the Tebow knee down right now. She does have a little Tebow In action. honor of Tebow coming yeah, back. Yeah, that is a little Tebow taking action. Taking the knee. Shout out. You know, I, honestly, I do hope Rosie lives her life like, like, like Tim Tebow. Yes. Um, okay, uh, g- give it to me. Sorry, one, one more time. Alex, he wants uh, D-line rotation. Yeah, with Quiddy Pay's comments on him mo- – probably exclusively playing the right edge. What does that mean for the rotation? Would Ture and Banigou play on the other edge on passing downs with DeForest Buckner and Taekwon Lewis in the middle, or perhaps a lot of Al-Kadi Muhammad and Isaac Rochelle on the left and early downs? Okay. Um, I look at it like this, Chris. Going to go play tomorrow, okay? I want Pay, Buckner, Stewart, right there, those three. And I want Al-Kadim Muhammad, I think, at the other end. And, and that's what I want on first and second down. Third down comes around. I want Stewart off the field. I want Tyquan Lewis on it. And I probably want Al-Kadim Muhammad off the field. And I want a healthy Kamoko Ture on the field. Rochelle, rotate in a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You know, series. Again, you don't play these defensive linemen 100% of the snaps. Right. Like, there's going to be series where Quiddy Pay is not on the field. DeForest Buckner is not on the field for stretches. So that's where you start to get into the Rochelles, the Taylor Stallworths. Um, I mean, hell, what can Banigou give you? Like, under my current depth chart, I don't know where Banigou fits. You would hope he ascends above a Rochelle, above a Muhammad, but based on their career so far, yeah, uh, you talk about sleeping well at night, I sleep better with, with Rochelle or Alkadi Muhammad. Uh, we saw, what's his name, Antoine Woods, I think, visited the Colts yesterday, kind of a backup defensive tackle. It, it's interesting, and this is a question that we got. I think we're going to save it for a future pod. The D-line depth, I think, is still a bit of a question mark. I know a lot of people are, like, looking at D-line and being like, 100%, you've gotten better. Like, Houston and Autry are out the building, and Pay and the Dangbo are in the building. That's not a given the 2021 results mm-hmm. will be better. Now, long-term, there's no debate. I mean, you left two, two 30-year-olds are now gone, and uh, hell, Houston's older than 30, and you've got two young you know, first and second round picks. But in the here and now, I don't know if you can sit here and be like, oh my gosh, without question, your defensive line is better. You're hoping that. Yeah. But we come into the whole, it's a lot for rookie defensive linemen to come in and impact. Show them... Kamoko Tari, show him Ben Ben Banigou. Like, um, so that is something that I think we do need to uh, keep in mind. It's funny, Chris. I I thought about this a lot going back to those pre-draft pressers when you're trying to look for little crumbs and whatnot. Yeah. And I flat out asked Chris Ballard, "You didn't make a move at defensive end in free agency. Was that more of an indication of your belief in Kamoko Terry Ben Banigou or the price tags that those guys got?" 
he gave me a two-minute answer that didn't sniff answering the question. <laughs> Why? He turns around five days later and spends the first two picks on defensive yeah. ends. He knew full well what he was going to do, what his perfect plan was for that draft in his eyes, and he was able to execute that. So it is just kind of funny looking back on that and, you know, now, oh, hindsight's twenty twenty. It kind of makes sense. You're right, though. I mean, going into last season, when we were talking on the podcast and a lot of Colts Twitter and a lot of Colts uh, front – I shouldn't say front office people, but a lot of the fans – the defensive line was one of the things I was most excited to see. And other than DeForest Buckner, there really wasn't much that I was like, oh, okay, great. You know, you wanted a little bit more. Now, I thought Tyquan Lewis had a better season than, than yes. people kind of acknowledge. I'll also say this. I mean, did Nico did, did Autry had eight and a half sacks last year? <laughs> that, if Quiddy Pay gives you eight and a half sacks, you'll say, where do I sign up? Take it. If Dio Dengbo you know, sack per game turns out to be eight and a half sacks. Where do I sign up? Like, I also just want to make sure we mention that it's not like the Colts are watching LaRaven Clark and Chaz Green walk out the door on the defensive line. Like, that is still mm-hmm. a duo that gave you decent minutes. It wasn't perfect, like you said, with the D-line group. But expecting rookies to come in right away, that's a little bit of a projection there. Speaking of projections, most of us look at mock drafts for 2022 just for for kicks and giggles. Matt is looking ahead to the offseason of next year in regards to free agency. Okay. So he says, now that the draft is behind us, I like to run a projected 53-man roster one year in advance so I can start looking ahead to next year's, the next round of free agency next year and next year's draft. Based on the contract set to expire after the 2021 season, I've got 22 roster openings on my projected 53-man roster for the 2022 season. Are you seeing something similar when looking ahead to the future years? For all the work Chris Ballard has done to build this roster, it feels like there's still a little bit more, or still a lot more, to do. Boy, can you imagine, dude, running the 53 for next year? He's in. He's all in it. Yeah, the Matt, we need more of you, brother. Um, okay. Well, first, I think it's just there's not a lot of multi-year contract guys. You know, off the top of my head, Chris, these are the guys under contract past 2022. Wentz, Taylor, Pittman, I think Doyle, I guess Campbell, um, Nelson, Kelly, Smith. I think that's it on offense. Defense, Buckner, Stewart, Leonard Okariki, I assume Leonard with the mm-hmm. extension. I assume right. Braid Smith with the extension, and then your two safeties. And I'm sure I'm missing a few, but but what I, Kenny Moore. Yeah. But but what I'm getting at is there's just not a lot. Which like the Colts are. I'm not saying that as like a knock on Ballard by any means. It's you bank on resigning your own, and outside of you know Danico Autry, I don't know if the Colts have really lost anybody lately that they really wanted to bring back. So. It's why they, you know, been a little bit more frugal with their cap space. Although after seeing the Fisher deal, now again a lot of that's injury laden. I would assume uh, they don't have a ton of cap space left here for for 2020. So yeah, it's just I'm not, um, you know, for all the work Ballard has done to build this roster, it feels like there is a lot more so to do. Like yes, there is a lot. I think long term corner. I think long term left tackle. Um, you know, those are two that you would probably probably mention. I think Whiteout could use another body. Obviously, you hope Wentz is the answer at quarterback. But I also think Matt, like 
as much as contractually team security wise, it looks a little bit dire. Ballard is just adamant that we're just going to resign these guys. Yeah. All right, Kev, I know it's early, but this one might wake you up. It's from Jay. Oh, shit. Hypothetical random question. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime it starts with that, you know, you just got (laughs) to love it. I seriously had a dream that Andrew Luck wanted to come out of retirement and only wanted to play for the Colts. As the GM, would you allow him to come and compete for the job? And who do you think would win that competition? Boy. I'm glad. I'm glad he just said he just he just had a dream. I got nervous there for a second there. Um, okay, as a GM, would you allow him to come and compete for the job? And who do you think would win the competition? Oh, jeez. I we'd have to get hard knocks if that were the case, right? I mean, well, I don't know. Jacksonville might be getting hard knocks with old with old Tebow, but yeah, you yeah. would think. I don't know. The Pacers probably deserve hard hard knocks with how things have operated there lately. Um. Boy, I think any answer I give is is it won't, won't be the right answer. Um. Yeah, Jay, Andrew Luck would be my quarterback. I, I guess I might send the wrong message, uh, but you know, you take him in the indoor facility, you bring in T.Y. I don't even know if any of this is legal, but you bring in T.Y. Hilton, you bring in Michael Pittman, you bring in Jack Doyle, you run the most intense two-hour workout, you run Andrew Luck through, you bring him in a film, film room, whatever, you show him 30 minutes of film and you say all right those are the keys that's the starting job Carson Wentz you'll be traded for a second round pick <laughs> all right it sh- I don't know is that bad is that not like how coach you must compete for the job yeah. you have like is that what what I should be saying I'm sh- they would still turn it over to him I, yeah I, I I know I know certainly like crazy coach will be would strongly disagree with with what I'm doing here but um yeah, Andrew, if you want it, you can have it. I sound like Jim Mercer. <laughs> Whatever you want. Yeah. All right, from John, I can definitely be a Chris Ballard apologist, but I feel like he's been over-criticized after every draft. That really confuses me because Ballard actually drafted more interesting. Ballard drafted more interested in position value in 2021 than he had ever done before, something the fans and the media have been begging for and people are still mad. So I have two questions. Number one, how many times does Ballard have to walk away from a draft night with a top five draft class before people stop questioning him? Number two, are people more interested in the Colts taking a guy who fills a need or the guy who makes our team better? Hmm. All right. It's a lot there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I guess in the here and now, John, I think people – are I don't know critical or I, I I don't know the word he used just about left tackle I, I don't think there's I don't know are there major gripes with other draft I don't know Sean Davis in the fifth round I, I feel like you're really nitpicking there maybe some people are mad they didn't trade back but I don't yeah I don't I haven't heard at least a ton of like super critical um, analyzing from a lot of people I will push back on like where are these top five rankings of drafts like I don't Ballard has to walk away from the draft night with the top five draft class. Like, I don't, I don't know if I've ever really seen that many top five draft class rankings. I think that's something you more do down the road. And honestly, I've really, because I know that the Ballard debates get so polarizing, and, and that can be said for any GM around the NFL. But I've really have tried to hammer home the individual drafts and not grade it as a five year. 
period. Like 2018, like the bottom of the ninth Grand Slam to go to the World Series. Hell, maybe to win the World Series. Well, I guess you got to win a Super Bowl first. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, just wow. 2020, <laughs> really good. Really good. 2017, ugh, ugh, uh, probably not – definitely not great. Uh, probably not good is probably the fair way to say it. In 2019, I think that's pretty meh so far when you look at guys like uh, Rock and Campbell and Banigos' first three picks. Um, you know, are people more interested in the Colts taking the guy who fills a need or the guy who makes our team better? Well, obviously make the team better, but those people would argue that left tackle would make the team better. I don't think they're, like, arguing that uh, necessarily. And honestly, and I guess this kind of turned into, like, a what side of the line are you on on Ballard? Um, I don't think draft is that much of an issue for people at all. I think people are pretty pleased with drafts. I think it's a little bit of free agency philosophy that I think that's where fans are frustrated. Mm -hmm. And, And like I've said before, I think your roster building evolves. I think that you have to make some tweaking as you move along as a general manager, as you see what's worked, what hasn't worked, as your roster has evolved. Just because Anthony Casanzo, you know, says he's going to keep on playing football, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you 100% believe that and you don't find a backup left tackle that can help you out when he does, uh, I guess rather abruptly, decide enough is enough. So I think it's a little bit of just the amount of ignoring and free agency to where that avenue isn't looked at as a, hey, you can find a top 10, top 15 player for your team, John. So, um, and honestly, part of drafts are just, if you don't critique drafts, like what, <laughs> I think it's part of an NFL fan job. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to be an NFL fan, you have to you have to critique your team's draft. Yeah. This next one comes from Denny. He wants to know, now that the Colts have signed Fisher and we know about the Achilles, if he's not ready to start the year, is Sam Tevy going to be the starting left tackle until he is healthy? Man, I mean, based off everything they say publicly, Chris, I keep on coming back to Will Holden. And, you know, I watched him play one game of football this past year, but I enjoyed it. I I, I thought he held his own. So uh, you'd like to see Will Holden battle it out, or I don't know, some sort of competition. And I think a lot of it will, Chris, depend too on just you know, when does Eric Fisher make his practice debut and then that juggling act. You, you want Eric Fisher to get reps next to Quentin Nelson. Well, what about a competition between Sam Tevy and, and Will Holden or Julian Davenport, who I know some people are not high on at all. But it's one of those things of like you get into that weird, awkward balance of, hey, it's a full pad of practice. We need Eric Fisher to be next to Quentin Nelson for 20 snaps. No, we need you know Sam Tevy to compete with Will Holden to see who's going to start week one. Yeah, that's interesting to me as well. But I mean, based off right now, everything they're saying, Denny, it's um, it's Tevy. JD's going to stick with the offensive line here for a little bit. Says you asked for pod questions, so here he is to deliver. All right, let's do it. What's with the defeatist attitude after the draft for so many fans? Ballard is known for picking up free agents who are underperforming and getting them on the Colts for cheap, watching them turn it around. For example, Danico Autry. Is it ludicrous to think that Sam Tevy could turn around here with the Colts, with the, with the coaching staff, and better support? Um, you know, it, ludicrous probably too harsh, but I think it's unlikely. And again, it comes back to that's a pretty big risk to, to take at one of the most important positions on the field. I think that's where people have the issue. It's not like Sam Tevy is starting at 
you know, as your third linebacker or starting as your, you know, right guard. I mean, left tackle. <laughs> like, if that doesn't go well, Carson went, Jacob Eason might be on the field quicker than you than you think. So I think that is the gripe. And to be fair, I mean, Danico Autry, I think, had a much more of a decorated resume than Sam Tevy um, at that point in their NFL careers when the Colts made that move. But, I mean, the Colts have had – I mean – Mark Lewinsky, you know, waiver wire. That was very successful. Has been success- successful. I would say Pierre Desir would fall into that category as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, and then, of course, Devil's Advocate was able, well, you know, no wide receiver free agent has worked out. So, um, is Tevi getting better? Like, can he get better? Sure. But... I, and I think many people, are of the belief that to make a deep playoff run, you need an upper echelon left tackle. Now, obviously, I assume this question was sent in before the Eric Fisher mm-hmm. signing, but it goes back to the point I made last week, Chris, about look at where the AFC left tackles were drafted. Like, these guys are not right. patchwork. These guys are not undrafted free agents that, you know, are a hell of a story. These dudes are, to steal our Joe Wright's quote that we say very often, Offensive linemen are made. Offensive or left tackles are born. Yeah, like they're. It's just a different group out there. I mean, even Eric Fisher, one overall pick, and he plays right tackles first year. Mm-hmm. Like even then, it wasn't a slam dunk. Now, obviously, he's made that transition, and has he lived up the left the number one pick billing? No, but is he a perfectly capable left tackle in this league? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where some of it comes from. Tyler loves the podcast, and he thanks you for making his workday suck a little less. <laughs> You're very welcome, Tyler. Happy he want, to do that. He wants to know, does Kylan Granson's selection close the book on any Zach Ertz to Indy possibilities? It's funny. I had somebody tweet at me yesterday, Chris, like, I need the emergency pod on Fisher. I've got a 14-hour drive coming up. <laughs> I don't. You think we go 14 hours on Eric Fisher? You just put that bad boy on repeat, I guess. Yeah, I was going to you know, do speed .25. Um, does Kylan Granson selection close the book? And yeah, I think it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, I was never a nerds guy just because it was too similar of a skill set. Uh, you know, my wife loves watching the Pioneer Woman on the Food Network. I swear she's got more <laughs> ingredients in her kitchen than than anybody. And so to steal a little analogy there, it's a different ingredient for old Frank to cook up. So I I do know the Colts kind of like uh, uh tonguey eye Noah. The yeah. guy they claimed from the Eagles last mm-hmm. year, right before the start of the season, so he's another option. But yeah, I think it does close the book on on Zach Ertz. You come home to a lot of cowboy breakfast. Well, let me be clear here: we don't make. Oh, we did make the some ribs that she did a few nights ago. Okay, um, but no, I mean, dude, I mean, she's like whipping up like these crazy meals, and that family's too happy to wake up at like four thirty. Way to go too happy. Cattle it's ranch. Like, yeah, it's like, come on. Well, Czar's got football practice or <laughs> Lars, whatever the hell his name is, and he needs 30 cookies. And I'm like, God, <laughs> sign me up for that. Right. Yeah. She looks like she likes some Big 12 football. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Heck, she might like North Dakota State football. She might. Yeah, she might. They she might yeah, be out that she way. might be a Bison fan. From Logan, do you think Chris Ballard has a good pulse on other teams? This is obviously in relation to before uh, the Eric Fisher signing. He says, I know the Bears released Charles Leno. So do you think there's a reason Ballard didn't do anything with the left tackle position is because he knew teams weren't going to be able to afford some of their star players? Just a random thought. Yeah, Logan, I think it's a great thought. Um, I think that's a big part of the process. Now, Ballard knowing it, I would probably pawn that off on some of my other people in the building. Like, hey, 
you're you have the intel on the NFC North. You have the intel on the AFC West. Um, you got another cap situations, and I do think you're very reliant on agents. You know, is that team telling you something? Mm-hmm. Then that agent's gonna. I mean, it's a shady business. Yeah, let's be perfectly right. clear here. Um, but yeah, we've been in one of their war rooms before, and they've got all the. Uh, I mean, the four sided wall where one side is just all the teams, the NFL, their needs, their cap situation, okay. all those things. So yeah, it's you, you you have to. So I think they could project possibly a Leno. Obviously, the Fisher thing happened back in March. Um, so yeah, Logan, one hundred percent. You got to have a pulse on it. Um, that's a must. Patrick's interested interested to know after the multi year extension that Chris Ballard gave Anthony Casanzo, at any point did you ever think Ballard was waiting to address the left tackle position because he was still holding out hope that Anthony might change his mind at the eleventh hour? Uh, yeah, yeah, Patrick, that you can't operate that way, you know. Praying for the retired guy who is already losing weight to come back is probably not the prayer that's going to get answered. Yeah. You know, not to anyone out there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for prayer, but uh, I don't know if you got enough rosary beads to uh, to do that. And in and, and all seriousness, Costanzo's one of those dudes, Chris, that, like, he starts training in late January. He is very into his body and is like, if I'm playing football this year, that stuff starts – 365, 24-7, yeah, right. no, I mean, no sleep. Like, in all seriousness, Costanzo is obsessed with that stuff. So um, he doesn't strike him as a guy that would be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to wake up in April and say, let's go play football. So, no. Sounds like a good dream. You should dream that with um, our earlier dream. Jay, was Jay the one about Andrew Luck? Uh, Jay or John, I can't yeah. remember. Okay, Matt doesn't really know – how good or bad this draft class is going to be. So his question is not draft-related. Draft huh? He wants to know, one year from today, who is more, most likely to be on the Colts roster? Naheem Hines, Jordan Wilkins, or Marlon Mack? Oh, Hines, one, one million percent. Yeah. Um, I mean, even Ursay didn't you know, mention a possible extension. I don't think it'll happen, but, yeah, Hines without a doubt. Um. He's different than Jonathan Taylor, much different than Jonathan Taylor. He's unique from everyone else in that running back room, and he hasn't missed a game or a practice, and he right. plays freaking running back. So, yeah, that is a no-brainer for me, Matt. I do I do like the question. I like the, um, I like the thought process behind it, but that is an obvious answer for me. For Mitch, setting aside the GM slash coach speak, how close do you think the Colts front office feels this team is from realistically making a run? I look at Dio Ad- a dangbo pick, even with Quiddy Pay pick to a much lesser extent. And it feels like we're going to hear more talk about patience and letting guys develop. Add to that, Eric Fisher probably isn't playing until late September, leaving Sam Tevy at left tackle for the first few weeks, and it's hard to believe that this team is seriously gearing up for a deep run this year. So how many more seasons of, quote, development, end quote, are we looking at before we can expect a Super Bowl-ready team? Keep up the great work. Thanks for the podcast. Thank you, Mitch. Um... Well, I would say the Colts feel like they're very close. Um, I do. Now, I think part of why they think they're close is they are banking on some internal growth. You know, um, young guys stepping up and growing. Uh, the ascension of players. You know, not like... 
not the Dante Moncrief descensions. You know, Moncrief had a promising start to his NFL career and then just woof. Um so yeah, I think they are they again, I think they believe they are very close. Now, I sit here and think I still believe Kansas City and Buffalo are on a level in the AFC. And I, I actually think the AFC is pretty good, Chris. I mean, I think Baltimore and Cleveland, I don't think they're taking major steps back, right. if any steps back, really. I mean, um, they dealt with some different injury issues that I think hurt them late in the year. Tennessee, I'm always like, they got to just run into a wall. But Derrick Henry seems to never run into <laughs> a wall. Um, and I know a lot of people are like, well, I, I don't know a lot of people, but it seems like people are like, Colts are a Super Bowl contender, this and that. The reason that I just push back on it is, and a lot of people, I think, when they say that, and I guess mainly I'm talking about Jim Irsay in this sense, they reference the Buffalo game and how close that game was and how the Colts should have won that game. And I and I really don't disagree with many of that. I mean, the Colts you know, p- pissed down their leg in so many different ways to lose that game. But I also sit here and think, you know, you got to win four games to win it all when mm-hmm. you don't win your division. Like, it's not just one game of evaluation. Let's take the group of games against the playoff teams you played last year, and you lost to every AFC playoff team, and you didn't play Kansas City. So that was the one team you didn't play. But you lost to Baltimore, lost to Cleveland, lost to Pittsburgh. Uh, obviously lost to Tennessee, beat Tennessee as well. But that is, I think, where the truer evaluation comes down to it of, like, am I expecting you to go 5-2 and two against the AFC playoff teams? No. But if you are more around 500 – that, to me, is a better indicator of, okay, I do think this team is capable of, now all of a sudden, you are a Super Bowl team. And we'll get a little bit more into kind of the each positions and looking at that, improved, haven't improved, those things on some future pods. But that's kind of where my thought process is, Mitch. Um, I did love, I assume, yeah, it was on one of those with the next pick things. And I, I appreciated the Colts for putting this in there. Uh, you had David Thornton taking Carson Wentz on a tour mm-hmm. of the complex, and Wentz got in the indoor facility and looked up at the banners on the wall, and I think 2014, oh, I know 2014 is the last AFC South championship banner, and I think Wentz might have mentioned that, and you could, I got the impression that Wentz was like, wow, it's been that long? Yeah. And David Thornton's like, it's been too long. Yeah. <laughs> like, it has been too long, and I think that's where you got to get back to. Of like, there's a little bit of, and again, this is couldn't be more peak eleven month old dad talking of like, you know, crawl, walk, etc. Like, I do think you're at the heavy crawling stage of now. It's like win a division, string together some multiple playoff games. What do you look like next year against the Buffaloes, against the Tennessees, against the Seattles, against the Rams? Tampa Bay on the yep. schedule as well. Those type of teams, that's where I'll go before I think that they are right there. But I think internally, again, I think they believe they are uh, there. They are there. Yeah, it's fair. Amari's question came in before the Eric Fisher signing yesterday, but he didn't necessarily believe that the Colts needed to bring in Fisher. He felt like Will Holden played well against Pittsburgh last season, and feels like Sam Tevy could compete for could. could be competing for that spot anyway. Yeah, I, I would have brought in Fisher or Leno. I, I still think those are upgrades. Um, you know, Holden has eight starts in his career, Chris. Decent testing athlete. Like, there are some things to like. You know, I did mention this a few 
I think I meant. Well, I don't know. Did we talk about Leno on last week's pod? That that news might have came out just. after. I believe it came done. out after. Leno was only six three, and now he's proven himself in the NFL as a very capable tackle. But like six three could not be further from what the Colts want at the tackle spot. Right. So I just think that is something to keep in mind. But um, yeah, Holden, I like. Curious, at least. We're gonna stay on the offensive line again with a question from Patrick. Let me start out by saying I love Chris Ballard, and I think that he has been great for the Colts. But? But am I the only one who thinks he's scared to commit to premium picks for premium players because he doesn't want to be wrong and rather just relying on Sam Tevy because he's played a lot of good football when he was rated 73 of 82 possible left tackles on PFF last season? Thanks for your insight. So he doesn't feel like premium positions are getting draft picks. Um... So, to me, the premium spots are what? Quarterback, wide out, left tackle, DN, well, I guess tackle in general, and, and corner. I mean, he's invested top picks at really all those spots, but left tackle? I mean, you know, he hasn't really had many first-round picks. I guess you first got to say that. Um, now, some of that might be he's scared to draft premium Scared to spend premium picks. I just think Chris is a big believer in more darts at a board. Mm-hmm. And then, well, let's just look at it. Quarterback, okay, hasn't drafted a, a, a high pick there, but I mean, has traded maybe a first rounder, 4 1. Wide out, I mean, you draft Pittman at 34. That's pretty much a first round pick. Left tackle, no. D end, a slew of second round picks, and then Quiddy Pay. Corner, you know, Rock and Quincy, both top half of the second round. Um, yeah. I know a lot of a popular comment is like that I've heard about the whole left left tackle thing is you don't draft for immediate needs, you draft for the future. It's been kind of a, a popular pushback I've heard about the Colts and the left tackle thing. Well, the, you know, my counter to that is, well, what's the future left tackle? <laughs> like, I mean, that's not crystal clear and obvious and, I mean, full transparency, I've looked at a 2022 mock draft. <laughs> That's good to get off my chest. Uh, not a ton of tackles, yeah. for what it's worth. Right. Uh, now this is obviously 10 months out, 11 months out, and whatnot. So, And those Sam Tevy comments, those are some of the funniest comments I've ever heard in my life. Like, I, I think at times it was he's just played a lot of football, not even a lot of good football. I think they, they, they threw in good. I think once they read the transcript and were like, oh, my gosh, that's what I said out loud. But, I mean, those comments are just freaking hilarious. Like, he's played a lot of football. Yeah. Like, you know. He knows how to put a helmet on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> TJ Leaf is, can shoot a basketball. Oh, God. You know, it's just like. That's not fair to Sam Tevy. Uh, yeah, you're right. But it, it, it's just <laughs> unbelievable that <laughs> how it sounds when it's said out loud. TJ Leaf the other day, real quick, playing, playing against the Pacers in garbage minutes. Oh, my gosh. My my poor buddy did a live bet. Covered cover the spread for Portland on a last second little, yeah <laughs> I said oh how much does that suck you hate Leaf when he's here he leaves we have no idea if he's even in the league until the Pacers are down like 40 and you go ahead and make a live bet and you lose it on a last second bunny from TJ <laughs> that sums up a Pacers fan right now God bless TJ Leaf three more this one from Z-Palm do you think Jared Veldier's performance had anything to do with the way the Colts see left tackle? He came off the streets and was serviceable in the playoffs and certainly wasn't the reason we lost. Hint, we lost because we lacked defensive pressure. Yeah, I mean, boy, Jared Veldier, Chris, what a great find that was. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I, 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 I get the question. Um, I think for every Feld here, there's a, you know, Jazz Green type of player. So, and I think Feld here is pretty unique as an individual. I keep on coming back to this. Um, for every, well, I think Phil Rivers helped big time scheming up that 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 pass protection. So I think you got to acknowledge that as well. Will Carson Wentz be able to do the same? I think that's a question. So I don't necessarily think that Veldhier's performance had anything to do with the Colts. I, I and I definitely shouldn't have, in my opinion. This one's from Gary. Which undrafted free agent is most likely to extend our streak? And name three players on the current roster most likely to be cut. You and Chris are the greatest. Not even close. That is all. Oh, thank you, Gary. It's very nice of you to say that. Which undrafted free agent most likely to make the team, boy, or extend the streak? Can I say none? Yeah. I mean, dude, it's a um... – I mean, Deion Jackson, a running back, I know got a big signing bonus, a couple decorated wideouts. The linebackers are terrible testers. Uh, maybe special teams. I guess, you know, going back to the Will Fries thing, if you want to change over that leaf, like, okay, Matthew Adams, we're good. You're in a contract year. Let's find a four-year, you know, a, a new version of you that's an undrafted free agent. Maybe one of them, but mm-hmm. name three players on the current roster most likely to be cut. I, well, I could easily cop out and just say, <laughs> you know, I don't know, three back-end guys. I don't I don't know if you want me to say, like, real names, Gary, or just names that I know will be an easy answer there. I don't, I don't know. I, I should probably look at the roster a little bit closer right now, but. I mean, a Banigou, I think, is like a popular name that some people have thrown around. I don't – I do think you will cut a notable name at D-line, so maybe, but that is really the only name that kind of jumps out at me as possible recognition or, you know, has some clout to his name. All right, the last question on this podcast comes from Brady, who is asking a question for the first time. Oh, love it. He's Brady, been- welcome been watching the pod for a while and finally decided you know what i'm gonna go ahead and ask a question so enjoy that let's go he says okay scenario time nope. afc championship game five seconds left and the game is down and the game is down to the colts who have i will read it again because it was written a little bit out of order here we go uh, five AF- seconds afc championship game time okay. five seconds left colts are down by four we have the ball on our own 45 yard line with the roster we have now Who's on the field? That's part one. What's your dream play? That's part two. Score we win. Don't score we lose. So 45-yard line, that's far away. Um, great insight there by me. <laughs> and uh, you got you to gotta score a touchdown. Another great insight. Let's re- pretty much let's redo the this final. Like Buffalo. Let's redo the final play of yeah. Buffalo. Okay. Well, Wentz over Rivers I yep. think is, is paramount. Uh, so I need a Hail Mary, I assume. I don't, as much as I love a great, you know, hook and ladder or something crazy, I don't think the success rate of those are great. Obviously, Michael Pittman will be on the field. Um, I would think Mo Ali Cox should be on the field. I'd like for Zach Pascal to be on the field. And you know what? I'll, I'll put uh, Hilton out there. I just think he's got a knack for just knowing where that ball is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I'm going to leave a running back into Chip. I know that that takes a guy out of the pass tree, route tree, but is there anything more anticlimactic in a Hail Mary when the ball doesn't 
either get to the end zone or you don't throw it. You get sacked or yeah. the ball flutters out of bounds. Like, literally. Give me hope. I, I need the ball to be in the end zone. Give me the four seconds in the air of thinking, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a shock the world moment. Make it a real Hail Mary. Make me pray during right. that, well, that ball's in the air. So that's where I'm going with Brady. What Our, a question. Good question. That was great. Good one to wrap it up again. Brady, thanks for writing in. Thanks for the prayer that we got on Twitter. <laughs> and, and thanks to uh, everyone who's been listening and doing some prop swap. Yes, thank you everybody out there for uh, listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner. Like I said, um, busy week up on the website. A lot of draft pick recaps. We'll go with some schedule breakdowns on Wednesday. And then uh, Thursday is when we're supposed to have that film breakdown with Chris Ballard. So definitely check out the site for that. Uh, maybe Monday if that works for you, Chris, next week. Um, yeah. Just to recap that, that, that film breakdown, that's always kind of a fun thing to go over and usually get some other draft tidbits from Chris Ballard on that, and then we'll get into OTAs and minicamp after that. So it should be a um, a solid month here coming up with some Colts content as we head into the offseason. It is wild to think about it, though. We are like two and a half months away from training camp. The NFL does such a great job, even in the offseason, that there's just always something to look right. forward to two to three weeks down the road and just these checkpoints. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're in the season. And it could be Grand Park, it sounds like, yeah. with you yep. know, off-season camps being allowed this year, which we absolutely love. So, everybody have a great week, great weekend. Thank you, as always, for listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. We'll talk to you next week. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.